We're spending the Sundays in October listening to 1 Peter, and this is our final Sunday in 1 Peter. Yeah, you don't clap because then you're like, boo, Peter. No, but you can say, yay, we've been in Peter. We've enjoyed, how many have enjoyed listening to Peter? And I, I know many of you have said, we've enjoyed listening to Peter, and Dav, you, you, you've talked a long time each time. There's been a lot of Bible, all right? Uh, so we're doing our, we're doing our best, and, and, uh, but I really felt pressed that I, I wanted to uh, cover large swaths of Scripture because I, we believe Scripture is that powerful and important, and we're, we're wanting to just wash over you with this Scripture. And there's so much in here doctrinally. There's so much in here devotionally for us. So let's lean into Peter's words to the church this morning. Our theme has been live like you are saved. Everybody say it with me. Live like you're saved. Peter has told us you're really saved, so live holy and live honorably and live to bless. This morning, Peter will tell us you're saved, live like it, live with hope. The final passage uh, of Scripture really remains on the theme of living like you're saved, particularly under, under pressure or under persecution. The emphasis through the whole letter has been hope. It's not a brand new emphasis, but we are coming and just settling into this, this central emphasis of, of hope. Peter has emphasized hope in God's, in God's providence and in God's promises. He has, he has emphasized hope in Christ's return and in judgment. I was good. I was waiting. I was hoping you weren't going to go quiet on judgment, okay? Because for Peter, for the, for the apostolic writers, the epistolary literature, judgment is a matter of hope. I'll say it again. How many medals did that one feller, that Phelps feller, how many medals did he win? How many gold medals? Like 22 gold medals? How many of those medals were a result of judgment? He swam in anticipation of judgment. It affect, it made, he made sure he followed the rules. He stayed in his lane. He did all the things in discipline, but he didn't swim out of fear. It wasn't fear that kept him in the lane. It was hope. Oh, you need to be better than that. If I would have been in the room, I'd have shouted myself down just now. It wasn't fear that kept him in the lane. It was hope. I wish I didn't have my mic on. I'd shout myself down. I did not write that down. That was good. Hope is mitigating and motivating. Hope mitigates our circumstances. It changes the way we see and experience our lives. We, 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 all, we encounter things, but we, encounter, we walk through circumstances. When hope is present, we, see, we, we walk through circumstances in the light of promise, in the light of judgment, in the light of reward, in the light of eternity. Hope mitigates and hope motivates. Hope changes our behavior. Hope moves us to act now in light of what is to come. Hope is practical, powerful, necessary in, what, in those things which are dire and those things which are just sort of drama. 
One of the things we've emphasized is that if, it's, if something is true, if something is prescribed for us in the most extreme of circumstances, then that same principle can certainly be applied in lesser circumstances or in easier circumstances. If we are supposed to, in other words, bless when we are being reviled and wildly persecuted, we can also bless when we're just being annoyed. I know, everybody likes the persecution part. But the, uh, the no- oh, I don't want to bless when I'm annoyed. I want to annoy back. Easy. And now, ergo, the gospel. It changes us. All right? Uh, but it, it, hope, hope is powerful, and we, and we live by it and depend on it. In the most drastic of circumstances, we lean into hope. And in, the, in just the stuff that's sort of just merely dramatic, the stuff that's inconveniences, the stuff that the little foxes that, that they say ruin everything, they don't have to ruin things if we live with hope. The same circumstance, with hope or without hope, is an entirely different circumstance. Even death itself. The Apostle Paul said, even in facing death, we grieve, but not like those who have no hope. You're saved. Live like it. Live with hope. Get your Bibles, open them up, keep them open. They're going to be your outline. Take them to group this week. If you're, not in, if you're not in a group, there's plenty of them and there's more coming. Let's dive into part five of our study today. And uh, I know what time it is and I'll do my very best to uh, wrap things up t- in a timely way. But uh, I think the Bible is good for us. Amen. Amen. There we go. Thanks for your help there. All right. So chapter 4, verse 12, and all the way through the end. It's not very far, but here we go. Let's pick it up right at verse 12. Uh, we start off the, the, the idea of living with hope. Uh, this, this first large section, is, is going. the subtitle is this, Endure Hardship with Hope. Would you say that with me out loud, everybody? Endure Hardship with Hope. Beloved, Peter says, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. Now, remember, I'm reading from the New American Standard. Uh, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. I want you to see right away that Peter, it's important that as you begin to read this passage that you listen to the cues there, Peter is talking, who's he talking to? He's talking to people that he calls beloved. Everybody say beloved. Dearly loved people. So he's not, he's, not, he's not starting this off sounding like he's angry or irritated. These are not people that are about to, these are not his enemies or people that are outcasts. It's important because we have to interpret what we read further on in light of what Peter is saying now. Beloved, so we're, this is who we're listening. We are, so everybody say we're loved. We're dearly loved. Beloved, uh, don't be shocked when you face fiery ordeals as those, it's strange. Hey, friends, trouble, opposition, persecution in an ungodly world that is influenced by Satan? That's not strange. These fiery ordeals, that word is called, uh, is, uh, is like a smelting fire. Peter said, these fiery ordeals are for your testing, for your proving, for your improving. They strengthen your resolve. They cause you to reconsider what really matters. 
They help you to cast off dead weight. They expose flawed thinking and and faulty affections in your life. And in this way, they test you, they prove you, they improve you like a smelting fire, bringing out the very best in your life. Gold must be melted in order to be minted. Difficulty and trial and tough times, listen to this, friends. Difficulty, trial, tough times in your lives as a servant of Jesus, they will not be wasted. They, they, They will not be pointless. They will prove valuable. I'm not saying that they're assigned or invented by heaven. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not saying God is the cause of these things, but I am saying he is the redeemer of them. No experience, regardless of the pain. I could shout my own self, shout louder than everybody in this room. No experience, regardless of the pain, no tear, no matter how salty and sad, none of it will be wasted. Not, not one. It will be redeemed. It will be restored. It will be repaid. It will be rewarded. And this is our hope. And this is how we endure with hope. Verse 13. See, that's good. Just, just verse 12. But verse 13 says, but to the degree that you, that you share the sufferings of Christ, Keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. When you, Peter says, when you experience these things, you share, you partner in the sufferings of Christ. What are the sufferings of Christ? Well, they're not sickness, disease, or lack. No, don't, don't, I understand, listen, uh, good people will say, well, you know, they got to share the sufferings of Christ. You find it, open your Bible. You got a big one, mine's bigger than yours. Uh, it's in the operator room there. It's a great big New America Standard, giant print, red letter, leather on the outside. Better Bible than you got. Wink, wink, okay? You uh, open your Bible, you find it where Jesus suffered with those things. You find it where Jesus suffered with those things, then you got me. But he didn't. The sufferings of Christ isn't disease, it's not sickness, it's not lack. The sufferings of Christ is rejection, accusation, reviling. It is the friction that you live in as a part of this fallen world that rejects its creator, but you have been redeemed. When you experience that kind of suffering, when you participate, when you bear the name of Jesus, Peter says, keep on rejoicing. (laughs) Keep on, say, keep on rejoicing. Keep on rejoicing. This is what's so frustrating. For the, I must be frustrating to be the devil. Shame the devil. It must, be, it must be frustrating to be the devil when Christians just get happier. Let's get them. Oh, no, there they go, happier again. Keep on rejoicing. Peter says, keep on rejoicing so that, that's a, that, is a, that is a subjunctive clause, Brother Saul Wasser, uh, so, that at the, so, so that at the time of the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation, with great rejoicing. In other words, it sounds like joy is an investment, Ed, in compounding interest. The more I rejoice, the more I will rejoice. I just keep putting joy in there. When I get to the end of it, there's going to be more joy in there than when I put in there to begin with. (laughs) May the God of all hope fill you 
with all joy in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. We endure hardship with hope by rejoicing in the hope that this world is not our home and that there is a hope to come. Verse 14, if you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. That's an interesting Greek phrase there. It, 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 it's very, very wooden. And so it's actually said, it, it should sound something like this. The spirit of glory and that the spirit of God. Meaning, Peter is saying the spirit of glory, and by that I mean the spirit of God. The spirit of glory and of God. They're not two different things. It's one spirit. That Holy Spirit, that glorious spirit rests on you. When you are criticized abusively for the name of Christ, know that you are blessed. Know that that at that moment, the glorious spirit of God rests on you. Friends, suffering for Christ is sacred. It causes you to abandon your grip on this world and cling to Christ alone. And when His name is on you, when His name is on you, His Spirit rests on you. So, so, so when you confess His name, His Spirit rests on you. When, when you bless and exalt His name, His Spirit rests on you. And when others curse you with his name, his spirit rests on you. We endure hardship knowing his spirit rests on us. Verse 15 there. <laughs> leave it to, now, Peter, Peter being a good elder, he's been around for a while by now, and he's aware of his own life. You don't wonder why Peter says things like this, because he's, he's, he's like me. He knows. He's made enough error that he knows what not to do. Look at verse 15. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer, a thief, an evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. That's the Bible right there. I know you all were like, oh, murder, check, thief, check, evildoer, eh, probably check, troublesome meddler, nuts. Be quick, be careful how quick you make the checks. Peter again makes certain that his readers do nothing to incur suffering as a result of their own lawlessness or their own harshness or their own rudeness or their own foolishness. We've said it before. Let me just come back to it again. Don't be a jerk and blame Jesus. Verse 16, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, ooh, everybody say Christian. Christian. Oh, look, look at that. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. The only charge that you should be guilty of is being a Christian. If you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. Rather, glorify God that you have been given that name. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for the salvation 
to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also for the Greek. Peter uses this word Christian. Everybody say Christian. Yay, Christian. This Initially, yes, it was a term of derision. It was an insult, but it is a badge of honor. It literally means little Christ. Little Christ. A follower of Christ. One who is living, one who is acting, speaking in the name of Jesus Christ. One who is exercising his authority, expressing his nature. A Christian is this. A Christian is not political. A Christian is not cultural. A Christian is actual. You are actually a follower of Christ. You're actually living the Christ life. Don't let it get hijacked by culture or politics. And rejoice in that name. Revere that name. Listen, Acts chapter 5, verse 43. 42, after calling the apostles, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. Verse 41, so they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. It must be frustrating to be the devil. Are you guilty of being a Christian? What's the evidence? They used to say that to us in youth group. If you put put you on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convince convict you? So then we'd all get worried. Verse 17, this is why we need to remember where we've been before we start just ex, uh, isolating uh, passages out here, taking them out of context. Verse 17 says, for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. Tell me the truth. How many of you have seen that verse used in social media or in a, or in a paperback or in some, some out-of-context sermon, and they're, all they're trying to convince you is God is fixing to beat the tar out of the church? It's time for judgment to begin. God's going to get you. God's going to get you. Gonna get you time. It's time. Well, if it's time, it's been time for a long time. So I, that must. What's going on here? For it's time for judgment to begin with the household of God. Jesus didn't do enough to take the punishment of heaven. He didn't deserve. He didn't take all of God's wrath. There's some left over for y'all. Why don't you simmer down a little bit? It is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will, what, will, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Verse 9, therefore, uh, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Judgment here is not punitive. It is purifying. Because we have to remember what we've just read. It isn't even really discipline. A lot of folks say, well, this is about the Lord disciplining his people. The Lord does discipline us as a father does his children, but that has nothing to do with this context. It's not discipline. This is not, these are not corrective. Well, you're doing this, but you need to be doing this. This is really about still the fiery ordeals of testing and proving from verse 12. These things that accompany living right side up in an upside down world. 
the conflict between these kingdoms is real, and you will feel it first. Peter acknowledges that it is and even will be worse for the godless and the sinner. It's going to be worse for those who express contempt for God and indulgence in for those who do not obey the gospel. Would you all say obey the gospel? Can we, can, I, I pray that it gets in my heart, our hearts, our minds, that we can, that we can help sort of mitigate some of our, our language and our approach to, to evangelism. Everybody say obey the gospel. The, the gospel is something that is obeyed or disobeyed. In other words, friends, um, the gospel is not something that we're selling. I'm not selling anything. I'm certainly not begging anyone. I do implore you to be reconciled to God for Christ's sake because of his sacrifice, because of his loving sacrifice, he deserves every single one of you. It'll glorify his name. For the sake of that name, I implore you to surrender your life to Jesus Christ. And by the way, for your own sake. Because it's worse for those who don't obey. But for many in the world and throughout history, it is difficult to be saved. To name Christ, to follow Christ, not hard to get saved. Jesus did that for you. But it's hard being saved because of hardship, because of persecution, because of this contrary friction life that they live in, which is why that hardship is mitigated by the hope that we have. We, Peter says, we trust our lives to a faithful creator, and because of our hope, we commit to doing good in the midst of hardship. See, the same hope that mitigates, that, that pulls the pain and the fear out of this moment also motivates me that right in the midst of that hardship, not to give up, not to hide, but to do good. To start doing good right in the middle of when nothing else is good. I do good out of hope. Wow. Romans chapter 12, verses 19 through 21 says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. That's still in the Bible. Leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. He'll take care of it. Verse 20, But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. This is how people that are possessed by hope act. We endure hardship with joy by rejoicing in the hope that we have yet to come, by knowing that his spirit rests upon us, and by, and by trusting God and doing good. Pick it up in chapter 5. Okay, now that, that's a chapter in your Bible, but he, Peter's still talking, because here, here we have... Uh, therefore, everybody say therefore. That's why we haven't stopped, because the therefore is going to take us right in. Therefore, and it's, it, this, so he is not changing the subject. He's still talking about hope. Therefore, lead with hope. Everybody say lead with hope. Therefore, and Peter says, I exhort the elders among you as, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ and as a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under, not under compulsion, but voluntarily according to the will of God, not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. All of us are the flock. We the flock. That's us. 
Peter says, therefore, because of our hope, lead in the light of that hope. Those who, are, those who lead, those elders, should do so with our hope in mind. This looks like over, exercising oversight with eagerness. Everybody say eagerness. Eagerness. This, and Peter uses the word elder, pastor, or shepherd, which is the same word. Elder, pastor, and, and overseer interchangeably. These are all the same role in the New Testament. That role means someone who primarily is teaching the, the, the people of God uh, from the Scriptures, guarding against false doctrine. That really is an historic responsibility of a teaching elder to guard against false doctrine and error and, and, to, and, and to correct or challenge people when they are living contrary to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And protecting, like a good shepherd would against sheep and wolves, protecting against evil and demonic assaults. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 7, speaking of elders, Paul, Paul says, the elders who rule well are, 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 are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at Preaching and teaching. 2 Timothy 4.2, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, rebuke, or pardon me, reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. This role is clarified for us by Peter with hope. This is a hope-driven role. We do everything we can because of the hope in front of us. We're leading for this hope. We're, we're helping people to live toward that hope. Now, one thing that, this, that these verses do, this verse in particular, it helps to challenge the idea that somehow a religious leader is a celebrity. As much as we joke around about stuff, and we joke around about we have, we have, like, we have 12 followers on YouTube. I mean, whew. But as much as we joke around about that, we are, we're, this, is not a, not, this is not, leadership in the church is not about being a celebrity. It certainly isn't about being a CEO, but it's also not about being a nanny. Okay, if, I, if, if, if you want me or my team to do something, we'll do, I'll, I'll look, I will do something for you as a Christian, but not just because my name says pastor something. Right? I do things as, I, cause as I'm a Christian. I like doing things as a, as, a, as a believer. But my role as pastor primarily is a, is a role to give myself to prayer and the word of God, to, to, to teach, to teach well, to guard against all those things. Okay? So these are things that are laid out for us in the Scripture. But also it helps us understand that those who serve are to be motivated by hope and that this must not look like they are. They, this is why the Browns would drive from, from Salem to Vancouver for nada, because they're not driven, they're not, they don't feel, they don't, are not doing so out of compulsion, out of greed, out of a lust for dominance, but what they do springs from hope. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive an unfading crown of glory. This is hope. We lead for Jesus. We model Christ, we point to Christ, we prod others to live for Christ. We lead for Jesus, anticipating Jesus. Peter says, lead with hope. Then he says, be humble in hope, verses four, 5 through 7. Be humble in hope. Everybody say it out loud with me, please. Be humble in hope. Verse 5, you younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders. <laughs> I just love how Peter never thought he'd be writing to an American. What? Be subject to your elders. We're not going to do that. 
This probably means um, actual younger men, people who were younger, and it also it would include uh, those who were young in the faith. So it refers as much to maturity as it does to a calendar. He said, those of you who are younger in that way should listen to and learn from elders in the church. This once again affirms that there is leadership and that we honor Christ and live in humble hope as we honor leadership in the church. Actually, willingly subjecting ourselves to leaders. You've got to get the nuance there. That's a, that's a middle verb there. Not, it's not being subjected by leaders. That's dominance. That's Sith Lords. But subjecting ourselves means I am choosing to willingly submit myself to leadership in the church. So no one's going to force you to do it. But hope invites you to do it. For the sake of Christ. I got to tell you, just me, just Brian Davenport. Can I just, just Brian Davenport, little Brian Davenport? I know that sounds funny to you, but I still see myself as little Brian Davenport. 97 pounds of me. I still see myself that way. That's why I run into things, because I think, where did that come from? Um, <laughs> it's all true. <laughs> little Brian Davenport, I love this. I, I love, give me a godly man or woman of God. Give me a godly leader. I, I will take a bullet for them. I will run through a wall for them. I, I have the, some of the happiest times in my life is when I have felt like I, I don't need this person to be, a, to be Einstein or a celebrity or a big shot, but if, I'm, if I can serve a man or woman of God, someone whose heart follows hard after the Lord, a given to prayer, given to the word, committed to doing what is right, ooh, I will stand in front of them and take a, a freight train. I will serve them. I will go out of my way. It is my greatest joy. I got to tell you, I love it. It's my favorite. And I can tell you the people in my life who have been my favorite. Phil Taylor. Anything. Anything he ever wants. Anything. I had a friend of mine once tell me, that someone told me one time, your job is not to defend Bomaline. I said, yes, it is. Bomaline was my childhood pastor, and he, somebody was upset with him, and I got in their face. It's not your job to defend him. Yes, it is. Oh, man. I, this, this, is, this is something that I love. I, I, and and it, 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 so then Peter says, after talking to elders and young men, he says, all of you, everybody say all of you, all of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. <laughs> all of you, that means everyone, clothe yourself with humility toward one another. That's what we do. Here's why. Because God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Pride puts you against God. <laughs> Quick question, you versus God, who wins? <laughs> but humility pulls on and elicits the favor of God. <laughs> How many would like the favor of Almighty God? Anybody up for favor? You don't have to, you don't, guess what, you don't have to pull any levers, you don't have to rub a lamp. Humble yourself. Clothe yourself with humility because God looks for it and he starts throwing grace at it. <laughs> Clothe yourself with humility. What does that mean to be clothed with humility? Does that mean I wrap myself in 
sackcloth or some sort of potato sack and put ashes on my head, start wearing dirty clothes and say, woe is me. No, that would be clothing yourself in pathetic. No, there's, no, there's no scriptural imperative for clothing yourself in pathetic. You know what? Clothe yourself with humility is just the, the most literal word that Peter's word, audience would have known. And this is why I wanted you to buy an apron this week. And I, but I went to Fred Meyer and it was 17 bucks. And I said, I, it's not, $17 is not worth the 40-second illustration. It literally means put an apron on. If I come, into your, if I come to you and I, and I wrap myself with a white apron, I have clothed myself with a readiness to serve you. That's what it meant. The servants in, the, in, the, in his day, they would, they would attach that clothing to themselves, to, in, to mark themselves as a servant. It would, it's no different than me putting on a white apron and showing up. I've clothed myself with a willingness to serve you. And, Paul, and Peter says, put that on toward each other, toward one another. Put your aprons on. Everybody's got an apron. Verse 6, therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. <laughs> Somebody say, that's hope, right? Therefore humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time. Verse 7, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. First, humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Humility places you under the hand of God. Humility, your choice to humble yourself, you, you place yourself under the mighty hand of God. Humility trusts God to honor us, to lift us up, to protect us, to promote you in His time. Humility hopes in God. Now, the next passage there, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you, that is one of those verses that is usually, and it's fine, usually extracted, put on a bumper sticker, put on a refrigerator magnet, right? And it's usually not translated in the participle. It usually just says, cast, your, cast, cast all your cares on him for he careth for you. Whenever I sing songs from the 80s and 90s, I got to look for Karen because I remember I learned it from her on the worship team. But she knows every single one. Okay? And it's good. And that's true. Everybody say it's true. It's absolutely not true. Sometimes people take a passage out of Scripture and, and they, when, they, when they take it out of context, it kind of mutates it. And putting it back into context kind of mitigates it a little bit. But, uh, but here's the deal. When you put this one back in its context, it actually enriches and amplifies it. Yes, it's true, cast, you should, you can and should cast your cares upon him because he does care for you. But there's a why. When you take it out of the passage, you take it out of its why. Or you take it out of the, out of the how, what it looks like. Because here's the deal. Casting my anxiety, casting, everybody say casting, is, it, it, it happens at the same time. Now, this is where we get, we haven't done fun with grammar for a long time. I'll do it really fast. Casting is a present active participle. Okay, you don't care about that. Casting is meaning it's a, it's, a, it's a verb that happens at the same time as the main verb. 
What's the main verb in, this, in, in the command here? Humble. Humble yourself. Same time, casting all your cares on the Lord. So cast all your cares on him is not hakuna matata. I don't care at all. No, it's not a flippant attitude toward life. Cast all your, be careless. My friend actually pastors a church called Care, Carefree Church. And it's located in the town of Carefree, Arizona. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I wonder who lives there. Um, um, anyway, but it's not, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you is not Hakuna Matata. Life doesn't matter. Be flippant. Live like nothing matters. It's this. Cast all your cares on him as an act of worship. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand and, and understand this, saying, Lord, these things are too big for me, too large for me, and what, I, what I'm anxious about, I, anxiety is when I hold on to things, when, I, when, I, when I'm handling them, when I'm ex- actually exalting my wisdom, my knowledge, my life, my will, my resources, my worry, I'm going to fix it by worrying about it. Jesus said something about that. He said, how is that working out for you? He said, have you lengthened your days or added hairs to your head by worry? Nope. (laughs) To cast my cares upon the Lord is an act of worship. It is to trust him. It is to abandon myself to an absolute hope in God's goodness because he cares for me. So it's not that you shouldn't. You really, really should. Cast all your cares on him because that's humbling yourself under God's mighty hand. Finally, almost done. We're doing pretty good. Resist the devil. Oh, really? Here I am, Heritage Church. I actually said it out loud. Nobody shouted nothing. Resist the devil. Resist the devil in hope, out of hope. Verse 8 says, be of sober judgment, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Hey, friends, the devil ain't playing. This is a fact. There is a devil. He is your adversary. He seeks for an opportunity to devour you. He does so through deception. He will seek to deceive you. He will seek to discourage you. He will seek to distract you in order to devour you. The enemy doesn't devour you in one bite. Never just one bite. Listen. He has an agenda, and it's you. But hope does not hide from this fact. Verse 9, but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experience of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. I got I to just stop right there. The, the same experiences are being accomplished this is the way the New America Standard words it because of the, 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 the language. They're trying to be as, as accurate as possible. But it actually makes it sound like people are overcoming something. The same experiences people are, are being accomplished. People are, over, people are overcoming stuff all around the world. 
I'll just talk to Jay. People are over. What you're walking through and facing, people are facing and overcoming all around the world. You are not alone. Resist the devil. You can and should resist him by standing firm in your faith. That's what James chapter 4, verse 7 says. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Flee. Like, as in, as, as in I don't want to get silly, but as in, yipe, yipe, yipe. Not, don't, you don't have to yell at the devil, shout. He not, he's not intimidated by your volume. He's very intimidated by your faith. People shout and scream. That devil doesn't have hearing aids. He doesn't care. You can shout all day long, but if you'll stand firm in your faith. Knowing that what you face is common, that people just like you are overcoming the same things all around the world. Come on, this isn't strange. There's nothing wrong with you. You didn't do something wrong in this world. Because the thing is, this world is not your home. Therefore, you live with hope. Come on, somebody say live with hope. Let's wrap this up. Chapter uh, verses 10 through 14. uh, uh, Peter says, after you have suffered for a little while, no matter what, no matter what it is, no matter what you're walking through, no matter what it looks like, it's just a little while. Turn to your neighbor and say, it's just a little while. Or tell them again, it's just a little while. It's just a little while. No matter what you face, friends, the clock is ticking. (laughs) clock's ticking someday it's only going to feel like a little while because the god of grace someone say the god of grace the god of grace will uh, the god of grace who called you into his eternal glory in christ will himself he'll he'll do it he'll say himself he'll roll up his sleeves he says i got this he himself will perfect you, confirm you, strengthen and establish you. He Perfect means to restore and to mend. He'll restore it. He'll mend it. He'll set you back in place. He will make you vigorously strong, and he will make your place permanent. He is our hope. He is our hope. Yeah. He is our hope. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. Peter closes simply by saying, through Sylvanus, through, or through, through, his, through his silence, our, faith, our faithful brother, for so I regard him, I have written to you briefly, <laughs> right? I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. Friends, what we have heard these weeks, this is the grace of God. Stand firm in it. Peter writes to encourage and assure his readers that the grace of God is with them and the grace of God is with you no matter what. You are really saved. You are really saved. You are really saved. Live like it. Let's stand together and give the Lord praise. Come on, let's, let's, let me hear what our people full of hope sound like. Can we give the Lord praise? Come on, give the Lord praise. Put your hands together, lift your voices. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Well, I just heard something. Right in the midst of this hope, 
listen, the Holy Spirit is present right, right with you right now. Some of you right now, I don't want, don't, don't tune out. Lunch will wait. Whatever you need to do next, we'll wait just a moment. Some of you are carrying anxieties. You are carrying an anxiety that is not yours. Peter says, cast your anxieties on him for he cares. He careth. That TH means he's doing it right now. He is actively caring for you. Right now, if you are caring, if you got, if you, if anxiety is troubling, burdening, weighing upon you today, you've got anxiety. You can almost some of you can almost feel it, like a weight or a brick right about here. Some of you, you're carrying it between your shoulder blades. You can almost feel that. Come on, right now, you got, you got anxiety in your life. We're gonna roll it onto the Lord. We're gonna bring it to the hand of God right now. Come from where you are. Come stand right here at this, this platform. Come on, move, 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 quick, quick, right now. Come on, right foot, stand right here in front of me. You're carrying anxiety. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna just submit ourselves to the hand of God right now. Come on. Don't hesitate. Don't hesitate. That's right. Come stand right across the single file line, right across here. And I want you to hold your, hold your anxiety right here in your hands and lift it before the Lord, just like this. Good. Are you praying for or praying? Okay, if you're receiving prayer, make sure to stand right in front. Put your hands out right here. Some of you right now, you sense, especially my intercessors, my, my prayer leaders, my staff, this church board, others, you sense right now a special unction from the Holy Spirit to help you pray. I want you to come and help me right now. Pray, some prayer workers, come right now. Come on, you feel it? Come right, you can come behind them or in front of them that they need to know that you're there. Okay? Some of you don't feel a thing, but you feel me, you feel me nagging you right now to move. You see me staring at you to move. You wrote for, you Thank you. you all, I'm still staring at you, and you're not moving. Thank you, Becky. Good. Put your hands on somebody. Thank you, Ray. Good job. Good job. Right here. Thank you. Find somebody. Christ, we humble ourselves now under the mighty hand of God, underneath the mighty hand of God. And Lord, today we bring to you these anxieties, these things that are weighing on us, troubling us, and we roll them onto you. We roll them onto you in humility and as an act of worship. We release these things to you, Lord. Some of you that are praying, you might feel a specific word of encouragement or admonition, a scripture verse. Just share that with that person right now. Bless them. Listen to love and you'll hear the voice of heaven. My hope is in you. Friends, everybody, I'm going to pray over you now, but I'm going to, we're going to let folks continue to pray here. The worship team is just going to lead us here in this song. My hope is in you. You're welcome to stay in God's presence and just hover. You're also, if you need to go, you need to find your children and get on with your day, you certainly may. Let me pray a prayer over you now. Now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I bless you in his name. May the Holy Spirit himself rest upon you. 
the spirit of glory and power, the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, the spirit of counsel and might. May the spirit of God himself rest upon you this day. May you go from here being an ever-increasing expression of Christ to your world. May you go with an increasing awareness of Christ's abiding presence in your life. When whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. I bless you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen and amen. Let's continue to pray here. Worship team, please continue. If you need to go, the Lord bless you.